take your Bibles now in Colossians chapter one. I want you guys to see what I've been chewing on. This is part four, maybe part five in our time in Colossians. So we've been in it for almost a month now. Can you guys just humor me for a minute and go to verses 28 and 29 of chapter one? And the reason I wanna direct your attention here is because if you don't get anything today, just get this. Just get these two verses. For being a mom, for being a husband, for being the men and women God wants us to be. This was Paul's attitude. I'm gonna read it to you. This is what fires me up as a pastor. Because believe it or not, I'm not always fired up. Okay, I need to fire myself up sometimes. And this is what Paul said. Paul said, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end also I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul summarizes chapter one, if you would, before he segues into chapter two, and he says, you know what, Mike, you know what I'm doing? I'm trying to present every single person I meet, every single person I think of, every single person I know, every single person I love. I'm trying to present them to the Lord. This is what I'm doing. I'm striving, I'm laboring, I'm giving all my energy to this that I might run my race with joy, he would say in Acts chapter 20. And I wanna have that same kind of mindset because what you believe determines how you behave. What you know determines where you go. And if we could just have that mindset, let this mind also be in you, he would say in the book of Philippians. Paul would say that. And he would speak about Christ, have the mind of Christ. So that way you can do the things that God wants you to do. The Bible says that we renew our mind, okay, by getting into his word, not being conformed to this world. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna get into his word and renew our minds. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray and ask God to bless us as we get into his word. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. For the firm foundation, Lord, the wide platform that is your grace, that is your love, that was purchased by your blood. And Lord, for the clear directive that now that you have done that, Lord, you have now commissioned us to build your church. You've commissioned us to grow in grace and knowledge. You've commissioned us to reach out and to teach others and to see others, Lord, follow you in faith and in baptism. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name you would fire us up today. I think of the Sunday school classes that are already underway and Lord, the faithful teachers that are no doubt smiling still. Those smiles will strain in a minute, but they're smiling still. And they're blessing those kids and they're loving on those kids. And I pray in Jesus' name, blessings, Lord, on our Sunday school. Just protect us, we pray from all things. Protect this church, Lord. We look to you in a time of very dark realities. And yet, Lord, you have given to us your light. May we have that same mindset of Paul, that same mindset of Jesus, that, Lord, we're here on purpose to see others grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you bless us now as we get into your word? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen, amen and amen. Colossians chapter one. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. He's never been to this church. He'll never go to this church. And yet Epaphras, a faithful minister of the word, came to visit Paul in jail and told him about this church. And so Paul said, okay, let me just write them a letter of encouragement. While I'm in jail suffering unrighteously and unjustly, I'm gonna send letters out to encourage others. Is that the way you guys uh, respond when you're suffering unrighteously and unjustly? Do you try and encourage other people and see how they're doing? Eh, no, that's not what we're doing. We're looking for our phones to find a lawyer. I need an advocate, I need help, you know. And I wanna be that kind of person who when the going gets tough, I love more. See, Jesus was our model in this. Jesus experienced great difficulty and, and attack. 
And Jesus only ever responded with love and mercy and he stayed the course. The Bible says that Jesus had a face set like flint toward Jerusalem. He wasn't going to stop. And I wanna be those kind of people who are on mission no matter what's going on in our lives. And so Paul wrote to the church there at Colossae and he says this in verse five. These are the verses we're gonna study again today. We, we looked at this last week. It says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. And then Paul goes into this prayer, which I'm hoping to get to today. It's a model prayer. It's a challenging prayer. It's a great prayer to pray for yourself. It's a great prayer to pray for others. It's a great prayer to be convicted by today that you would pray more. He says, for this reason, verse nine, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now the church at Colossae is a church that took root from the fruit that Paul was bearing in Ephesus. Ephesus was the big metropolis there in the Tri-Cities, and then you had Colossae, a church on the outskirts. And apparently, as Paul was ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ for three years at the school of Tyrannius, Epaphras was one of the students, and he took what Paul had given to him, and he went back to Colossae, his hometown, and began to teach and preach in his home neighborhood where he lived, and a church was born. This is exactly how it's supposed to go. Paul commissioned to faithful men things that he had taught them and told them, now go teach other men that will teach other men that will teach other people as well. And this is how it grows. And I guess I would say it this simply, you never know what God's gonna do uh, when you choose to do what he asks you to do. See, Paul was in Ephesus for three years, preaching and teaching, giving his whole life until it finally came to an end. If you know the book of Acts, finally there was a, a, a transition and Paul had to go. But evidently from that fruit, from Paul's faithful ministry, a church was born. How cool would that be to hear a... And it's Epaphras shows up in jail. And he's like, hey, my name's Epaphras. I was one of your students. I was the one I was talking in the back. Sorry about that. And anyways, after I graduated, I went back home. And I started preaching. Here's Paul in jail going, you did what now? Well, I went back and, and I just, I taught them everything you taught me. Say that, say that again, say it a little slower. I went back and I taught them everything you taught me. And now there's a church there. And it's the church of Colossians and, and they're growing. And he gives this report. He says they have, they have faith in Jesus and they have love for everyone and they have hope in heaven. And Paul's in, in jail, he's like, are you, are you serious? And I just wanna encourage you, okay? This is how the word of God works. You, unfortunately, fortunately, you never know what God is gonna do with your efforts. You never know what God is gonna do with your faithfulness. I want to know, but the Lord says, no, nah, I'm not gonna let you know. I'm not gonna let you know, Luke. I just want you to be faithful in what I've asked you to do. I will take your faithfulness, Luke, and I will dispense it however I see fit. One of the reasons why God doesn't show us right away what he's gonna do with what we do is because our heads would get way too big, okay? And maybe even we would veer off course because we'd say, I don't wanna do that. If the Lord ever showed us the blueprint and the map of our lives, we'd say, oh, I'm taking a left. Instead, God says, hey, just follow me. Trust me. Next Sunday is September 12th. 
And after the second service, I'm gonna go home and grab some food and I'm gonna get in my Tahoe and drive six or seven hours to Yakima. And I'm gonna be in the foothills of Yakima. It's that time of year again. I'm gonna teach 21 students the whole book of Acts uh, in five sessions, 28 chapters. And as I do that, I have seen, this will be my 13th, 14th, 15th time doing that. And as I do that, I see these students and I'm only there with them for one week at a time, but I know that God's word planted deep within their hearts and it's going to bear fruit. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, but I have seen it happen time and time again. And I wanna encourage you who are praying for your grandchildren, who are praying for your spouse, who are praying for your neighbors, who are coming to church, who are sowing the word in your own hearts. And maybe you don't see that fruit yet. And all of a sudden a church pops up. Paul is a church planner. He didn't even plant this church. That's great news. And all of a sudden he sees that it's growing. And I just wanna exhort you, trust the Lord. Last Sunday after church, I was kind of spent, kind of fried because that's how I am on Sundays after church. And I was driving home and I texted my wife. And I said, hey, honey, I'm on my way home. Do do you need anything? She said, well, I've got a small list at Fred Meyers, but I can go get it later. And and as I looked up, there was Fred Meyers. So I thought to myself, you know, I'll I'll get it. So I stopped in at Fred Meyers. And as I was pulling in and parking, I kind of knew and sensed, I was like, I bet the Lord has something. You know, I just... I bet he has something. And so as I began shopping there and I was putting some apples in and they were on sale, super fired up. And, put my, and all of a sudden I heard some people from behind me say, Pastor Luke. And I turned around and there was a couple that I'd never seen in my life, didn't, didn't know. And they walked in, their eyes were big. They had masks on, so all I could see was their eyes, you know. And they had their eyes and they said, this is crazy. This is crazy. They said, we've never been to your church ever. We're not even from here. We're from Redmond and we're here on vacation. And we looked up churches all up and down the coast today and we found yours and we decided we're gonna go to your church in the morning, but we slept in. And so we watched anyways, we watched anyways. And as you were teaching and preaching, as we were worshiping with you, we had this thought, we wanna meet Pastor Luke. We just wanna, we just wanna meet him and just I, we just, I feel like we should meet Pastor Luke. And so what did they do? They went to Fred Myers. And as they were saying that, I was just so blessed by the Lord and what he does in the connection. And we spent 20 minutes, maybe half hour, and I prayed for them and their 14-year-old daughter and, and prayed for them. And Marcus and Brooke is their name. I was just so encouraged by their story. And it was just so radical. And here I was, I want to go home and take a nap. And I actually went home and took a nap. I wanted to go home and here God had this divine moment. And I want to encourage you guys and you gals that this church was born out of faithfulness and God is going to do what God's going to do. Don't stop being faithful. Just keep doing stuff. Keep planting seeds, keep having Bible studies, keep praying, keep encouraging people. Just keep doing whatever the Lord has you to do. It will bear fruit in its season. Last week, we looked at seven things within this first section that you gotta do if you're going to bear fruit in tough times. The first one was giving thanks. Second one was praying. And then we saw that there's this key components in this church, they had faith, hope, and love. How many of you guys have heard that before? Faith, hope, and love. Uh, Paul wrote this. He also wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, which says three things remain, faith, love, and hope. And the greatest of these is it's love. Now, I want to just kind of double click on each one of these. Again, I taught on this last week, but these are very important because these are mature marks of a church and of a Christian that is growing in grace and knowledge. You will have faith and you will have hope and you will have love if indeed you're a Christian that is growing. Now, I'm not going to, second guess or challenge your salvation and how that works between you and the Lord. But if you wanna weigh yourself on the scales, you will have these three marks if you're growing in faith, hope, and love. These must be there. Number one is faith in God. It says it right there in verse four, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and he goes on to talk about the love. Let me just ask this question. Do you really walk by faith and live in faith and move in faith? Is that, it took faith to get saved, didn't it? You put your faith in Jesus Christ. Like, woo! 
and you're saved by faith. That's a good day when you're saved, right? Did you know that the Lord requires you? This is big time. He requires you to live by faith. It's easy to get saved by faith. Let me actually say it in a way that might make you uncomfortable. It's designed to you. Faith is the opposite of comfortable. If you're comfortable right now in your life, if there's nothing going on, there's no testing, no difficulties, okay? Chances are, I'm just, gonna, I'm just being, you know, two-dimensional, real, real surface here. There's no faith involved. You should be taking risks for the Lord. Abraham followed God by faith. He got a direct message from God. He said, follow me. Abraham walked off his map, grabbed his whole family. He didn't know where he was going. God says, I, I like that. What did Abraham do? Nothing except believe and get a little uncomfortable. And, the God, and God said, that's my friend. Abraham and me are tight because he trusts me. Abraham followed by faith. Moses led by faith. Remember Moses? God's asking him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He's like, I don't know, I'm a little bit scared. He's like, well, take your stick. You're gonna need it the whole time. It's gonna be legit. I'll meet you every step of the way. It required faith upon faith upon faith. And if you're a believer here, you don't wanna be, in your flesh, you don't wanna be like Abraham. You don't wanna be like Moses. You just wanna sit back, man. I got my rapture pants on. I'm ready to go home, you know? What's going on? And the Lord says, no, I got stuff for you. David, he battled by faith. With the giant, he knew. He was the, nobody wanted to fight the giant except David. David had great faith. And there's things that God wants you to do. Nehemiah, he built by faith. You guys read the book of Nehemiah lately? Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer and his heart began to stir for the people that didn't know Jesus and they weren't saved, the people that, that were having their walls still down. And so Nehemiah prayed for a month before he went to the king and started asking petitions. His heart was broke. We're so loosey-goosey in our Christianity and maybe focused on other things. Your faith, it's, you've got to have faith, not just to get saved. Peter, Peter walked on water. There was a storm going on. He had faith to believe that Jesus could withstand that. And just so you know, I'm not making this up. You've got to have faith if you want to be useful to the Father. Hebrews chapter 11 says it this way. I'm going to read it to you. It says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. If you want to be pleasing to the Lord, you don't just raise your hands once and get saved. Instead, then you live your life saying, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take some risks. I'm gonna believe that God is, number one, I believe. It's pretty cool, it's pretty cool. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We're gonna do stuff. We're gonna believe stuff. We're gonna attempt stuff. I heard one guy put it this way, attempt great stuff for God and expect great stuff from God. This needs to be our lifestyle. And maybe there's seasons of rest or where you're letting the Lord do what he's gonna do, but faith must be a component in your life where you're sensing God's leading and saying, you know what, this is gonna be a little risky. This is gonna be a little uncomfortable. This is gonna be not what I wanna do. I'd rather just go home and take a nap, but I'm gonna go to Fred Myers and maybe the Lord has something. Maybe it's that simple. It's just that simple. And when you live by faith and when you act in faith, don't you just smile? Aren't your days just so much greater? The opposite of faith is fear, where you're just kind of like tight and, and scared and, and you go home and, you know, your hair turned gray within the day somehow, you know, and, just, ah, you know, and your hair falls out. It's just everything, you know? Or you walk by faith. You walk by faith. And people, churches, ministries that show up believing that God is gonna do something, I believe those are the areas that God moves mountains and he does things. Churches that believe that God would back their play. People in ministries that believe that God has a big enough account to do what he wants to do. Remember in John 2 when Jesus was instructing the servants and he told them to go fill six large water pots? They go do it. What? 
it's like a drought here. It's Lincoln County. There's no water. It's crazy, you know. And, and they had to work. That was hard to do. And they did it. And he said, now take the water and go serve it to the master of the ceremony as if it's wine. It's like, oh, really? You want me to get fired? Sweet. This is great. I'm just going to take this. Here, drink this. You know, and they did it by faith. And the master of the ceremony took that water, drank it, and said, this is the best wine I've ever had in my life. Who does that? Time out. Who does that? And it, and it became a became a teachable moment. Who brings the best wine out at the end of the feast? This doesn't happen. Let's talk about it. And here's Jesus standing there with the servants who he asked them to walk by faith. He says, you guys were the closest to that miracle. You guys were the closest ones to experience that. I've been a Christian now for, for a couple of decades, walking with the Lord, wanting to be led by faith, wanting to be sensitive, wanting to be available. And I need to exhort myself and encourage us to continue in that mindset to say, all right, Lord, this is the day the Lord has made. What's he gonna do today? What's he gonna do in my kid's life or in my grandkid's life or in my place of business? Jesus actually warned and taught many times in his teachings that there would be a temptation to take the talents and the time that he's given to us and to bury them and to not invest them instead of going for the gold and seeing what kind of return we can get on the lives we live. He warned us. And she says, them have tenfold gifts, go out and get more. Fivefold gift, go out and get more. He said, one guy only had one gift and he got scared. He didn't want to do anything. He didn't want to blow it. And Jesus rebuked that man and said, what are you doing? I asked you to live by faith. Jesus' little brother would write his epistle on faith and works. And James would say, you have faith? I'll show you my faith by my works. He would also say that faith without works or without evidence is dead. And, and again, I just, as I was putting this together last night, I was, I was, I'm tiptoeing on an area, put a trip on you guys. I don't want to put a trip on anybody. I really don't. But the Lord's looking at your life. He's looking at my life and he'll, he'll show you. You don't need to make anything up. Isn't that good news? You don't need to start just, you know, don't take all your savings account right now and, you know, go put it on black. Don't do that. That's not faith. Faith is sensing the Lord's guidance and purpose for your life. And if you have a sensitive heart towards him, he'll speak to you. He'll tell you what to do in your marriage. He'll tell you what to say. He'll tell you what not to say. He'll tell you what to do. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was having these thoughts go through my mind and I was like, oh, I should do that. I should do, and they weren't big deals. It's just kind of like, oh, I should do that. I should do that. And you know what I didn't do? That. And a couple of days later, I regretted. I was like, oh, that was from the Lord. That was from the Lord, just a silly little simple thing. And I believe the Lord speaks to us in those still small voices where he tells us to go there, tells us to go here, tells us to be ready, tells us to give, tells us to receive, tells us to obey, just the little things. And guess what? If you get good at obeying God in the little faith steps, you'll be ready for the big faith steps. Some of us are waiting for the walking on water in the storm, for the throwing of the rock at the giant, for the leading of people to rebuild the wall. We're waiting for the big things and yet our little life's out of order and we're not really investing those faith muscles. And I would just encourage you, don't worry about the big stuff. Just, man, that's, that's the Lord's deal. You be faithful in the little things and you'll be ready. You'll be prepared. You'll be pleasing to him. Guys, I just want you to hear this because this is from the Lord's heart again. Hebrews eleven six. I already read it to you. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Lots of things please the Lord, but if it's not done by faith, it, not, not only faith, but they had hope. They had hope. This isn't, I'll read it to you, verse four. It says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, this hope that they had wasn't a loosey-goosey hope. This was a steadfast, immovable hope. 
matter of fact, the definition of hope is a confident expectation of coming good. This is what Christians have. We have the hope of heaven, confident expectation of coming good. Do you have that kind of hope? See, we use the word hope all the time. We're like, man, I hope it doesn't rain in August. You live in Newport, like get over it. Man, I hope the Beavers can win some football games. And you know, it's just, they're not gonna, it's not gonna happen, you know. I'm just kidding. I, I hope the Beavers win some games too. We were, we were cheering for them last night. It didn't work. And there's these hopes. I, I, you guys have hopes? I hope this works out. Did you know that the hope of heaven is different? It's not the same of, of an unknown. I just want you to really settle into this. If you have the hope of heaven, you actually know what's going on. It's, it's not, a, you're not wondering, you're not pacing, you're not twiddling your thumbs. It'd be kind of like watching a, a replay of the 1974 Rose Bowl, okay? You imagine watching that, you settle in, you get your popcorn, and you're like, I'm gonna watch the Rose Bowl. And in the third quarter, your team's down by five. You're not gonna be sitting on the edge of your seat going, oh no, I don't know what's going on. You know, this gets too close. You wouldn't be doing that because you know the end from the beginning. As a matter of fact, if you watch a replay of a sporting event, or I'll, I'll use a different illustration. If you watch a, a movie, you ever watched a movie twice? Okay, Rambo, of course, I know you do. Okay, you, <laughs> We've all watched a movie twice, you know, or Rocky. You know, you watch them twice. And when you watch a movie the second time, two things happen. Number one, you get more out of it. You just, oh, I didn't catch that the first time. And number two, you don't sweat the ending because you know what's happening. You're not anticipating. You're not missing stuff. Did you know that as Christians, God intends you to get more out of life because you know the end? And as Christians, God intends for you not to sweat the small stuff because you know the end? Have you guys read the end of the book? We just finished Revelation, and then we did first and second Peter. Man, we know the end of the book. We have the hope of heaven that is laid up for us. And while the world goes crazy and things are uncertain, you can actually smile and say, just wait till the end, dude. Just wait till the end. We win. We win. This isn't a fake hope. Hebrews 6.19, maybe that'll come up on the screen. It says it this way. Hebrews 6.19. Talks about this hope. It says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, verse 19, the hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. This is so good. And as Christians, do you have that faith? Are you, are you trusting the Lord? Oh, I got saved back in 1932 with the dinosaurs, man. It was legit, you know? And since then, are you still walking in faith? Are you, are you pleasing him? Are you taking risks? Are you trusting him? I hope so. It's impossible to please him without faith. And do you have that hope, that anchor that's behind the veil that Jesus himself has given to us? I like that illustration of an anchor for our soul. See, anchors go down to the bottom of the ocean in order to keep the boat from moving around during storms. Keeps the boat right where it's supposed to be. It's got an anchor. You ever seen a boat that just pulls anchor and says, we're just gonna let the storm take us wherever it wants to go? Okay, it's a desperate move. And that storm will take that boat off course and put it wherever it wants until it destroys it. You who are believers, we're in a storm right now. Everybody's in a storm right now. And your anchor is steadfast in the hope of God. Hebrews chapter six, we're, we're stoked. We know what's going on. Is there a storm? Yeah, it's big too, you know. It's complex, it's crazy, it's out of our control. We can't, you ever, you ever the storm. I love the weather, don't you love the weather? Then the weather to me just speaks of God, you know. Whenever I check my weather app and I don't like it, you know what I do? I go check another weather app. I'm gonna find a weather app I like. I mean, what kind of logic is that? Like, and even if you find a weather, no matter what the weather is, you have to adjust. You, you can't change the weather, 
Only God can. And so too, there's great freedom in that. The situations of your life, the situations of our country, the situations of the world, man, it's out of your control. And it's a storm. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna anchor up. I'm gonna have hope. I'm gonna read the end of the book. I'm gonna produce faith in works during this time. It's like watching a really good movie the second time you don't sweat it and you get more out of it. May that be true in this church. May we have the hope of heaven. But not just faith and not just hope. He also says you guys have love. And let me make sure I slow down a little bit because this is the most important thing about your Christianity. Paul said you can actually have every other gift, every other strength, every other ability. You can give all, you can know all, you can have all. But if you're not loving, it's worthless. Now, this is something worth leaning into because some of you right now are aware of your deficiencies and in your knowledge, you're aware of your deficiencies and your giftings. I just don't have it all. I don't know it all. And, and it's as if the Lord would say, so that's not important. Not as important as love. If you have all gifts, if you give all things, if you know all things but have not love, it is a useless gong. It is a banging cymbal in my ears, the Lord would say. Here's the good news. Is I don't have to stress about what I don't know or what I can't do or what I haven't done. But if I focus on the greatest commandment, love God and love others. Now let's just settle in for a second, church, because and don't raise your hands and don't nod. You're gonna make us feel bad. But how many of you guys are really focusing on loving God and loving others as your primary objective? There's battles right now in your life for holiness, to deal with selfishness, to deal with pride, sins in your life. We're all, we're all aware of our sins, the, the chinks in our armor, the deficiencies, the things. And Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? Is it about sin? Is it about holiness? Is it about righteousness? Is that, is that the greatest command? It's like, nope. And he went on to say that if you love God and love people, all of the law and the prophets hinge on those two. In other words, if you're really focusing on loving God and loving people, your holiness, your righteousness, the, the, thing, the things that <clears throat> maybe you're more concerned about, those will actually be dealt with when you're loving God and loving others. See, the, the devil, I think, distracts us into maybe minor issues when the Lord would say, focus on the major issues and all these other things will be worked out and thrown in as well. Wouldn't it be awesome if you today even said, you know what I'm gonna do? <clears throat> I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna be more loving towards God, more loving towards my spouse, more loving towards my kids, more loving towards my neighbors, more loving towards my community, more loving towards my church, more loving towards my enemy, more loving towards everybody. I'm just gonna focus on that and then see if everything else gets thrown in as well. I believe that the Lord will meet you and he'll do just that. As a matter of fact, after God did everything he did, he gave us the world, he gave us perfection, he gave us innocence, Adam and Eve blew that, he gave us judges, and, and, and he gave us leaders, and, and he gave us the law. The Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave us his son. He loved the world, he'd already given us everything. Sometimes when you go meet your friends, you wanna give them the law, or you wanna give them you know, some prophetical insight, you wanna give them this, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. The most important thing about you in your understanding of who Jesus is is your love for him and your love for others. And again, maybe it's just me who's distracted by so many other important but less important battles. Relationships and, and sinfulness and pride and 
issues of the heart. All of that is dealt with as your love for God and love for others grows. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love doesn't boast in evil, it celebrates in righteousness. First Corinthians 13, eight, love never fails. And it's not an inauthentic love, it's a, it's a love that comes from knowing who God is. Well, how, do, how, how did this church, isn't this crazy? This is what Paul's saying, you guys in Colossae, you guys have faith, I, I heard about it. You guys have love for Jesus, I heard about it. And you guys have hope in heaven. I heard he'd never been there, but he's commending them. How did these guys get to have faith, hope, and love? How did they learn these things? He says it right here in verse five. He says, because of the hope which is later for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. How did the church that, Paul had never been to end up having faith in God, love for people and hope in heaven. They were confronted with the word of the truth of the gospel. Okay, they heard it preached to them. Epaphras was a faith was Epaphras, funny name. Epaphras was a faithful minister of the word of God. And I just want to speak about that for a little bit. This is why we put such a heavy emphasis on the teaching and the preaching of God's word. Because it's the teaching and the preaching of God's word that will bear in us faith, love, and hope. It's the teaching and the preaching of God's word that will help us to know who God is and then to respond in the lives that he wants us to live. It's a teaching and preaching of God's word that will give us faith in order that we might see him and become more like him. Now, let me ask a quick question. How many of you guys have had your life changed by the teaching and preaching of God's word? Raise up your hand, okay? You showed up somewhere and you heard teaching and preaching and your knower began to resonate and you began to say, what in the world? This happened to me back in 1998. I went to the Ashton Christian Fellowship and Pastor Andy Green was up on stage with his Bible teaching a Bible study and I had never heard anybody communicate the word of God in such a way where it went into my head and down into my heart, boom, and began to change my life. And I was not a good guy at the time. I was a bad guy. I was doing bad stuff in the bad world. I was living for Satan himself. I was doing, I was a bad dude in rebellion. And when I went to church and I heard the simple preaching of God's word simply, I stayed for the next service. I went to the 8.30 and the 10.30. I said, I can't, what in the world is going on here? I want more of that. And I began to show up early, stay late and say yes to everything because of the power and the preaching of God's word. And I want you guys to understand this is important and imperative that you go to a church that preaches God's word, but that you also become a person that is confident in sharing God's word with others, with yourself, with your family. Okay, this is why Paul would say things like this in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Paul would say, how then shall they call on him who they've not believed? How then shall they believe in him who they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and who bring glad tidings of good things. And I say that because in a world today, we, man, our church services are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Not at this church, they get kind of longer all the time. I, I promise we go shorter, but it never happened. I lied to you, I apologize. You know, church pastors and preachers are preaching sermonettes for Christianettes, you know, and it's just getting smaller. And 20 minute sermons is about what people, that's the, that's the poll, 20 minute sermons, all I can handle. That's what people say. And Paul says, well, how are they gonna hear unless they're preached to? And how are they gonna preach unless they're sent? And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel and the preaching in today's churches and the preaching of today's Christians and the word of God is growing smaller. As a matter of fact, there's an Old Testament prophecy, I think it's in the book of Amos, that said in the end days, there's gonna be a famine. It's gonna be a drought. 
And then Amos clarifies, he says, but not a drought and a famine of food or water. It's gonna be a famine and a drought of the word of God. And, and it could have been for Israel at a different time. It could be for our nation right now. It could be like, yeah, just, man, less appetite, less capacity. And I say that because there's a temptation in our day and age to, to not preach to people, to not share God's word. I, I want you to make sure I'm not making this up. Look at verse five. Because of the hope which is laid up for you, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. The word of the truth of the gospel came to Colossae and it bore fruit. See, the temptation maybe has come from a quote that, is a credit to St. Francis of Assisi, and, and we can't prove that he said this, but a lot of people quote that he did. And in that quote, it says, always preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. You ever heard this before? It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Always preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. What this means is, is live a lifestyle that's so generous, so kind, so benevolent, that people are gonna see you and say, you know what, man? I just can't believe you made this sweater for me. You made me a sweater. It's got buttons. It's got leather elbow patches. I wanna go to heaven, you know. I can't believe you made a sandwich for me. I'd like to repent, give my life to Jesus Christ. Like we think this is going to connect the dots for them. You can't know the gospel of Jesus Christ by making a sweater for somebody, okay? You can't know the gospel of Jesus Christ by getting a birthday cake given to you. You will only know the gospel of Jesus Christ by hearing the bad news and the good news. Now, should we be kind to people? Should we love people? Should we make cakes for people, sandwiches and sweaters? Should we do that? Yes, of course. But not in absence of preaching and sharing God's word with people. Now, this is some hard truth. Let's just be honest, okay? If you're, if you're really honest, you probably like a church like ours that has a strong emphasis on the preaching of God's word because it makes you feel good because you know that your pastor is gonna preach the word and your church stands behind the word. And you can invite your friends here. And by the way, my commitment to you is if you invite your non-believing friends here, you bring your family here, you bring your kids here, you bring your spouse here, I'm going to commit to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to them every single Sunday so they can hear God's word, know God's word, and believe God's word and be changed by God's word. That's what we're gonna do here at South Beach Church. You can bring your friends and family, it's awesome. But sometimes we find ourselves negating ourselves then saying, you know what, I'm glad my pastor does it. I can just, woo, God, I can bring my granddaughter, bring my grandson bring them here when in reality what they need from you is they need the truth given to them from you in love Paul didn't plant this church Epaphras did and Paul's looking at Epaphras going are you for real dog they have faith hope and love because the word of the gospel the truth came to them that's how it works this is such good news for a preacher like me and for a church like us that believes the word of God. We're committed to the word of God. We're gonna share the word of God. The word of God will not return void. It will accomplish what it has sent out to do. As a matter of fact, he says it in verse six. He says, also, which has come to you and is bringing fruit in the world and also among you. Did you know that somewhere in here, he says that the gospel of Jesus Christ has gone into all the world, all of modern Asia Minor at that time, which is Rome and our modern day Turkey. Well, now, we don't know if Paul was just using this kind of like in a hallmark saying, like, the whole world's heard, or was it true that the whole world had heard? You, only you can decide. I like to believe the whole world had heard. This thing had caught on fire. The Jews at this time, the Christians, I should say, were accused of turning the whole world upside down and bringing this message of Jesus into the whole entire known world. Now, stop right there, eyes up here. Let's just ask ourselves this question. I'm a, I'm a, I study these things. What's the best way? What's, what's the best way to speakers? I remember one time I was in, in Fiji and I was 
um, Sharon in the jungles there. And I went to this church, this Assembly of God church in the outskirts. And I remember I was there with the pastor and we were touring. I was getting ready to teach the next Sunday. It was a small church in the jungle along the Sigatoga River. They had nothing. And I remember this pastor was looking at me and, and was asking for help. And they were, they were asking, can you send us speakers when you get home? You're a white guy, you're probably rich. You know, can you send us some speakers? And can you send it? And what this pastor wanted was technology in order to take the gospel further. And, I, and me just dropping, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I didn't laugh, that'd be rude. But, but when I looked, they didn't need that. They didn't need that. This pastor was, was convinced that that would be what was necessary to get the gospel to go out any in further. And we've got cameras going, we're on Facebook Live, we're on YouTube Live, we're all over, things are happening right now. How in the world did that group back then get the gospel to go into the entire world without technology, without platforms, without YouTube, without Facebook, without all these things, no websites? How did they do it? I'll tell you how they did it. Two ways. Number one, and primarily, the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Let's just rejoice. The power of the Holy Spirit. But number two, the passion of the people. They were freaking out. Their lives had been changed. They'd seen Jesus die and rose from the dead. They'd seen blind people healed. They'd seen sinful people forgiven. They'd seen life change. And they couldn't but help share the good news. They couldn't but help share what God had done for them. They couldn't but help share the gospel of the truth of the son of his love. They were letting people know. And they were making sandwiches for people. And they were knitting sweaters. And they were doing stuff, making birthday cakes and celebrating. But there was truth in their lives. And they weren't pulling any punches. So much so that they were being persecuted to death. Their light wasn't, sometimes we get... We, we get afraid of being offensive to people. Well, I don't want to offend that person. They're not a Christian. <laughs> you better offend them. You better offend them because they're offensive to God right now. And you offend them in love. You tell them the truth. Hey, God loves you. You're a sinner. What is the gospel, by the way? The gospel is this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have done right. We've all gone our own way. We are all sinners by nature and choice, born sinful and then proving our sinfulness in our lifestyles. We have all offended God and all deserve hell and damnation. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son to die for us, to live in our place, to die in our stead, to rise victoriously and to call out to the world, all whosoever would come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one day he is returning to set up his kingdom as he predicted, prophesied and has promised. And it's going to happen in our generation, I do believe. And the time is now to stand firm on this hope with faith in love so more and more people get saved. I was baptizing people at John and Deb Smith's two weeks ago, and uh, I had a couple hours to kill before I went to go do Casey Joe's and Matt's wedding. And I was sitting on their back deck, and the way that it's situated, the sun was shining, and, and the river was there, and there's kind of like a mountain right here. And so the sun was kind of just shining in this way where you could, the, sh the sun was illuminating everything that was in the air. And I was just looking at it. And it was just one of those, I saw everything that was in the air. It's almost like Horton Hears a Who. You ever seen that where you just like see everything and you know, all the families over here with kids know, you know? And I, and I saw that the sky was full of seeds, small ones, and floaties and bugs by the thousands, about three in the afternoon, four in the afternoon. It wasn't dusk. And as I looked, I was like, whoa, Lord, look at your creation. Just pollinating everything. 
just planting everything. Look at all these trees doing what they're designed to do. And some of these seeds that have come from trees for miles away and see spider webs and the whole thing. And, and the Lord reminded me, he's like, I know what I'm doing, Luke, and I plant everything and I water everything and I grow everything. And that is how I, my church grows. And the seed of the word will not return void, but it will do what I sent it out to accomplish. And for all you moms and dads and grandparents and pastors and preachers who are leading people in the things of God, do not grow weary in well-doing. Continue to preach the word. Continue to post sermons and post verses and memorize scripture and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It will not return void. It will bear fruit. This is God's design. This is what he has intended to do. You're a living witness of this. He says it in verse six. He says, which has come to you as it also in all the world and is bearing forth fruit as it is among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. (laughs) Do you ever just laugh at yourself? I laugh at myself all the time. You can laugh at me if you can't laugh at yourself. That's okay. You can laugh at me with me. And I laugh at what God has done in my life. I laugh at the fruit that God has born in my life. I laugh at the work that God has done in my life. I laugh because it's a miracle. I laugh because if God can save me and God can use me and God can choose to save me, God can choose to, he didn't have to choose me, man. He should have, you know, when he's choosing, like, not that guy, that's for sure, you know, he should have went right over this guy. But instead, in order to show himself strong on my behalf, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, God chose. And if God can choose to use me through his word, through the power of his word, okay, be bold. The righteous are as bold as the lion, The wicked flee when no one pursues them. Have boldness, boldness in the things of God. Paul never been to Colossae and he sees a church plant. He's like, what are you you doing at Paphos? You preaching the word? Yeah, I'm just preaching the word. (laughs) That's what's going on. They're growing because of the word of God. And I'll tell you what, if you want your kids to grow, if you want to grow, let me just give you a few more verses. I intended to go further, but I knew it wasn't going to happen. 1 Corinthians 121, I want you guys to be convicted of this because I believe the church has grown asleep and is atrophied and we need to repent. 1 Corinthians 121, I'll, I'll read it to you. It says this. It says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weaknesses of God stronger than men. First Corinthians one twenty one, Paul says that this simply, I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified to you. You know why? Because that's how people get saved. Do you want your friends to get saved? Yeah, I'm just being nice to them. I've been working with them for 20 years, sharing the same cubicle, hoping that they smell the aroma of Christ that I emit daily. Second Corinthians 2.14, that's my life verse. Got a tattooed on my feet. Cool. Good job. Me too. I love 2 Corinthians 2.14. Don't, don't get me wrong. Through you, Christ emits his fragrance everywhere you go. But did you know that they need to hear the word of God? The gospel. In love. We don't want to do this. We don't want to do this. I'd rather just merge and let them go in front of me. I'd rather just, you know, give up my vacation time for them. They'll, they'll know. They'll know. They'll know. Before Paul died, he told this to Timothy. He said this to Tim. He, it was the last thing he said to him. He said, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He said, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
He went on to say, it's gonna be hard, you gotta endure. And he closed his chapter or his book this way in chapter four. He said, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and, as, and, and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and aside to fables, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Last sentence, fulfill your ministry. Paul would get his head cut off right after that. Last letter to Pastor Tim. Do the work, Tim. Find other men who are gonna do the work. Find other women who are gonna do the work. Co-op together. Strengthen yourself. Keep going. And if you have faith in Jesus, and if you have hope in God, and if you have love for people, it's going to bear fruit. It's not gonna return voice, a promise of his. Faith is the expectation Confident expect, or hope is the confident expectation of coming good. Faith is the substance of things unseen, the evidence of things hoped for. I had some more things to share, but I'm gonna save them for next week. I wanna encourage you guys. Man, you need the word just as much as your neighbor does, don't you? Do you not need the word preached to you? As a preacher, I listen to a lot of sermons. I would confess that most of the sermons I listen to are preparatory. I listen to preachers preach on things I'm gonna preach on so I can learn from them, so I can glean from them, so I can be strengthened by them. But every time that I have the word of God preached to me, I open up my heart and say, Lord, I need it. I need a preacher. I need someone to tell me the truth. I need someone to strengthen my soul. I need someone to tell me what the word says. And as you submit yourself to teaching and preaching, be that man, be that woman for others. Share it with others. Be a person of the scripture. As a matter of fact, Paul's gonna segue, and I wanna get there, I wanna connect the dots. You're gonna have to wait till next week because the next service is coming in. But Paul says, for, look at verse nine, for this very reason, we, since the day we heard of it, don't cease to pray for you. And then he prays for seven things for this church. We heard you guys are fruitful. We heard you guys are growing. We, you've responded to the word. You know what we're gonna pray? Look at the first thing he prays for. We're gonna ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, that you might know him, that you might live for him. How are you gonna know who the Lord is unless you hear about the Lord through the word of God? How are you gonna hear about the word of God unless somebody's sent to tell you about the word of God? How are you gonna grow in the word of God unless you give yourself over to the teaching of the word of God and then when you know who God is, you'll know what God wants for you. Would you guys bow your heads, close your eyes and pray with me as we thank Jesus for his great patience and his great love for us. Father, in Jesus' name, we humble ourselves before you and we ask that you would be glorified, Lord, in our lives and we ask that you would pour yourself out once again, Lord. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles that if we would humble ourselves and cry out to you that you'd forgive our nation, you'd heal our land. And Lord, we repent. We repent, Lord, over our nation. And not just over our nation, not just over our state and our county. We repent, Lord, over our church in Jesus' name. And we ask in Jesus' name that this would be your church, that you would lead us and guide us, that your word would be our word, that your way would be our way, that our lives would be your life, that we would do what you want us to do. 
We thank you so much for all you've done already, Lord. May we be a church of faith, hope, and love. And may you lead us into the things everlasting in these last dark days. Guide us and lead us, we pray. We give our lives to you. And if you're here right now and you don't know the Lord, or maybe you're at home watching and you realize that you've drifted from the Lord and you wanna give your life to the Lord in response to his giving of his life to you, would you right now raise your hand or would you raise both your hands or would you lean in and say, yes, Lord, if that's you, would you be the one who responds to him right now? I'm giving you this opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. Go ahead and raise your hand. If you're at home watching online, just say, yeah, that's me, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Live with me while I live for you. Lord, use my life for your glory and take me to heaven when I die. And may, Lord, I do all things that please you. And may I grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We give you, can put your hands down. And God, we love you. Bless the kids. Bless the rest of our day. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen.